Nicole. How are you? Good. Cheers to the queers. Cheers to the queers. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you? Great. How was your week? Uh, it was a good week. Yeah, it was fun. I, I hung out last night with our friend Lisa and went to Soho for a little while. Right on. That was fun. Um, what <laughs> do you... I want you to get closer to the microphone. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I thought you were, I didn't know you were funny. Should we start, start again? <laughs> I was like, what? You're just doing that. That literally didn't happen. I'm doing this. All I'm right, pointing right. directly at this thing in front of you. Then you're just kind of far away. And so I'm just trying to get you closer. Let's queer bait. Okay. No, that's creepy. My lips made weird noise. Okay. All right. Hold on. <laughs> Hi, Evie. Hey, Nicole. Cheers to the queers. Cheers to the queers. Oh, that cube. It went in my throat. That's good. <laughs> it's because it's too small. No, it's perfect. Nope, too small. Mm, I don't like the big ball cube. <laughs> That's what it gave you is a ball, not a square. I know, and I had to wait for 25 minutes for it to melt a little. <laughs> I am in front of that, that heat, heat dish. dish. Yes. Because it's cold. It's beautiful out. It's cold here in Detroit. What is that song? Cold in the D. <laughs> What? That really bad, bad, you don't, you don't know, it's so cold in the D? <laughs> no. Oh, we're going to have to put You're a link up to that. 1,000% making that no, up. No, I'm 1,000% not. It's so cold in the D? So cold in is, the D. Is it like a holiday song? No, it's like a rap. Shut song. the it's front door. It's so cold in the D. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to put a link up to that in our show notes. Okay. Along with all the other links and sources that you can find there. It's so cold in the D. <laughs> um, well, yeah, And it is. As you know, I love the cold. So. Yes, I do. How was your week? My week was good. It was good. Yeah, it was uh, uh, busy. Yeah? What's it, going on? Work or Yeah, I mean, fun so, stuff? I, sometimes I say busy, but what I really mean is it wasn't busy. I didn't really do much. <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, binge watching a couple shows. Oh my gosh, speaking of binge watching, I started the Roanoke season of American Horror Story. Yeah? Yes, because the two movies that you had recommended... Session nine and Wild Country? Wolf Creek. Wolf Creek. Okay, not Wild Country. That's a documentary about a cult, which we'll cover another day. Um, cults. <laughs> Can't wait for that episode. Can't wait for cults. I got some experience with that. But neither of those were on any of the services that I subscribed to. So we ended up saying, ah, fuck it, and watched American Horror Story. And so we started the Roanoke season. Okay. You know how they have the characters that were inspired by Kathy and Gwen from our killer lesbian episode? I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. No, we talked about it oh. when we did the episode. I have a, a problem with sometimes remembering everything <laughs> that we talk about. But and as you know, I, I don't listen with the volume on, so I never go back. So, okay. So, yes. So, the killer, the lesbians from Grand Rapids area that did all the murdering. <laughs> What a great sentence. Can I just, the lesbians from Grand Rapids area that did all the murdering? They inspired two of the characters on the Roanoke season of what? American Horror Story. And it's, I mean, it's super interesting because now that I know the story of Kathy and Gwen, which are not their names on the uh, season and they're, they're portrayed as sisters as opposed to, I think they're sister lovers. I'm not really oh. sure. I've only watched like two episodes, but yeah, I mean, so they've definitely changed a lot of their actual story, but it's still fun because I know the real story and I'm like, Oh, Ooh, I know this. I know this. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of 
it's it's exciting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I did. I think it was a. I don't know, my favorite murder. Wasn't there like a one of the murders was it was like a sister lover situation, which is pretty vile. But oh, I'm sure I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember what one it was. It's. I don't think they were the um, the the you know, lesbian vampire murders, but it was, no. I feel like they killed, they were like uh, house girls or something and they ended up killing the family that they worked for. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I have not <laughs> seen that episode or that season. Uh, I only watched um, like a couple seasons, uh, which I do like the show. And I don't know if this is, I don't know, but Roanoke, is it, are they talking, is it, does the episode have to do with that? Like, um, village of people that all of a sudden disappeared. Yes. Like that's, I know that story. So yes. yeah. Yes. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch. Croatoan. I want to watch the, um, that last season too, but I hear that it's important to watch the other seasons before. Um, oh, Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. Apocalypse is probably the only one that really calls back to almost all the other seasons. Yes. Yeah. If not all of the other seasons. Um, I mean, each like each season does, you know, a little callback here and there yeah. to other seasons, but it's never really make or break for the plot line. I think I feel like apocalypse definitely makes more sense if you've seen the other seasons, okay. especially coven, but yeah. that's just my opinion. I, and I started that and coven I like, is my favorite season. It's so disgusting in the so beginning, good. but once I get past that, um, I really like it. And I fucking love Emma Angela Roberts. Bassett as and Marie Laveau is fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, the whole, yes, I like the show. Um, great. Yeah. So, Oh wait, I do have to tell you one more thing before we go I'm to interested. the news. Um, so my mom has an, is an avid listener of our Hello. Pod, of our podcast. Hello, Eve's mom. Hello, Eve's mom. Have I, I have not met you. have not met no. my mom. Susan is her name. Sue. Hello, Sue. Hi. But I Susan. call her Moo. That's a long story we can get into another day. Okay. Um, but so I talked to her this morning and she was telling me that she has brushed up on her queer baiting. <laughs> <laughs> and that oh. she's been practicing. Sue. Okay. Um, which just tickled me. That's adorable. Again, uh, I would like to say hello to my mom, but I won't because she doesn't listen. Mostly because <laughs> she doesn't know what a podcast is still. And she, it's just, she just doesn't ever listen. Anymore, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's adorable. And your mom's adorable. And queer baiting has been really interesting ever since we, that episode aired. I've had some really interesting conversations. Yeah. About it. Yeah. So. Well, right. that's cool. Let's yeah. get to the news. So, well, yes. No, wait, you have something else? Nope. I was going to say, let's get to the news. <laughs> That sounds like a great idea. Excellent. Great minds think alike. Ah. Hear he, hear he, read all about it. That's quiet, wasn't it? That was real quiet. That was gentle. Too gentle. Super gentle. Okay. Let's go hard. Come gather ye all to the breaking news of the square. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're, you're brilliant. Uh, Okay. Was that a bless your heart? I think that was a bless your heart. No, it was, I mean, you're That was a northern bless your heart. heart. You're right. Okay. You're brilliant. I I adore you. Bless your heart. Uh, Okay. So um, I have one pretty awful story when pretty decent story. Let's start with the awful. Okay. Um, prosecutors move forward with case against alleged LGBTQ multiple killer in Detroit. So it's good that they're moving forward, but it's awful that it happened. 
On May 25th, three LGBTQ people, Alante Davis, Timothy Blanchard, and Paris Cameron, were gunned down in Detroit, Michigan. Now, um, now Wayne County, Michigan prosecutors believe they have the um, evidence to continue to go to trial against their suspect. Prosecutors presented their evidence in court this week against Devon Kareem Robinson. Despite differing beliefs, differing beliefs about Robinson's motive in the crime, they will continue on trial. On to trial. Alante Davis and Timothy Blanchard were two black gay men, and Paris Cameron, a transgender woman of color, according to Out Magazine. They were at a house party when then 18-year-old Robinson on May 25th. They were, wait, sorry. They were at a house party with the then 18-year-old Robinson on May 25th when he left and returned an hour later and opened fire. The shooting rocked the Michigan LGBTQ community, especially, especially during the Memorial Day weekend, just days before Pride Month. Cameron was reported on as the seventh openly transgender person killed in the United States in 2019. Heartbreaking. Right? Um, Robinson faces three charges of first-degree murder, two of assault with intent to murder, and five of use of an arm, ar a firearm in connection with the felony, according to WDIV. Okay. Click on Detroit. Yep. Uh, prosecutors contended in court on November 6th that Robinson, who is now 19 years old, targeted the victims due to their identities. A survivor and witness, however, questioned if there was a more personal reason for Robinson's alleged heinous act. Um, it kind of gets into it a little bit. You can read the article for sure, talking about maybe yeah. like the, per, perhaps a motive. But this Monday, Judge Michael Wagner deemed the case to be sufficient to move forward to trial. He cited additional testimony from witness that claimed Robinson engaged in sexual activity with others at the party. And he was enraged by people calling him gay because of that. Ugh, gay panic. What? A police officer also produced a surveillance video that is from near the scene of the crime that allegedly shows Robinson near the party before the shooting. Although he could not be positively identified, which is tricky too, but yeah, well. yeah. Um, while the evidence that the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office is putting forward is considered circumstantial, they will have the assistance of the Fair Michigan Justice Project, a joint venture with the Fair Michigan Foundation. Prosecutor Powell Horowitz will be representing the group. The foundation helps state law enforcement agencies and prosecutors solve crimes against people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Uh, Wayne County District Attorney Kim Worthy stated that at the time of Robinson's arrest, we must remain, ever, she stated at the time of his arrest, we must remain ever vigilant in our fight to eradicate hate in Wayne County and beyond. Worthy's office has a history of failing to find justice for the LGBTQ community, which I've heard, and was the case this July when Worthy claimed laws would not allow her to prosecute, uh, would allow her prosecutors to sustain a hate crime statue against Demetrius Nelson, who targeted multiple gay men to rob via grinder and shot two of them, killing one. This case illustrates the mortal danger faced by the members of the Detroit LGBTQ community, including transgender women of color, says Alana McGuire, Fair Michigan's president, in June. So far, it appears the defense strategy is to expose holes in the prosecutor's case, including the, theor uh, including, uh, the theorized motives in the case. You have a fanciful theory put forth by the prosecutor. There's simply not a sufficient not a sufficient quantum of evidence of identification to bind him over anything, remarked defense attorney Evan Calhan Jr. Hmm. So it's it seems like what something to watch. Yeah, for sure. Um but yeah, that that gay panic defense is Yeah, it's awful. Insane. Well it's interesting too. I mean, uh we have an LGBTQ liaison with the Detroit Police Department who is a wonderful, wonderful liaison, yeah. member of the community, uh, an excellent human being. Um, so 
it'd be interesting. I wonder if we could maybe get her on at some point and It'd be amazing. We talk with her about just DPD and and the way they handle these kinds of things, you know, because I, there has been huge issues in the past. So it would be interesting to have her on and sort of talk with her about where it's it is now, you know. Yep. Be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, my next story is out of Boston. If you represent Boston, Boston a little bit, Boston. Ken, love that dirty water. <laughs> it's Maki Mock's cousin. It's Maki Mock's <laughs> cousin. <laughs> he loves us. It's Maki Mock's cousin. Maki Mock's cousin. Jackie's Packy. Jackie's Packy. Jackie's Packy. Oh, my God. We love Jackie's Packies. There's you, nothing better than Jackie's Packies. I know I'm not even doing a Boston accent. No, I, I apologize, Boston. Jackie's Packy. Jackie's um, Packy. Route 39, Dampas. <laughs> but, no, uh, if you haven't watched The Real Housewives of South Boston, watch it because it's hysterical. Jackie's Packy. Jackie's Packy. Um, they actually have, like, shirts and jackets and stuff. I no, totally right not. Jackie's I want one that just says Maki Mock's cousin. Maki Mock's cousin. <laughs> Uh, all right. So this is out of Boston. Uh, the first trans hockey team takes to the ice. That's fucking awesome. Yep. Uh, hockey player Harrison Brown, thought to be the first openly transgender athlete in any professional U.S. team sport, didn't have many. I apologize. It's you. The way it's printed, it didn't. I thought I started in the wrong spot. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize. Uh, let me start that again. Yes. Please. Yes. Please. Hockey player Harrison Brown, thought to be the first openly transgender athlete in any professional U.S. team sport, didn't have any trans athletes to look up to when he was growing up. Then he saw Chris Mosier, a pioneering transgender triathlete, being true to himself. A trans athlete while still being a triathlete, Brown said. For me, when you see it, you can be it. I like that. Yeah. See, so you can be it. When Brown came out as transgender in 2016 while playing for the Buffalo Buffalo Buttes, a team within the National Women's Hockey League, he said he had a flood of people reaching out to him on social media saying, it's amazing to see, see you play your sport and be yourself. His desire to take part in any type of positive res representation is what drew Brown to play on a historic all-trans hockey team, which completed this past weekend, which competed this past weekend in Massachusetts. Team trans versus Boston Pride Hockey. Fuck yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I um, love it. The article is pretty long. It does go into descriptions about it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. So it was an actual competition this weekend, and I I do love Massachusetts for that. They're pioneers. So um, yeah. So how about? Well, I, like you, have one happy and one not so happy. <clears throat> Actually, I would say the other one that is not so happy is more like something that might make you gnash your teeth and okay. rage against the machine if you were somebody like me. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and that is that last week uh, the Senate voted to confirm uh, straight, straight along party lines. Um, Steve Menashe, mm. which is why I said the gnashing your teeth thing. Cause I'm super clever. Yeah. Um, so clever that you had to explain the pun. Exactly. So he was confirmed to a lifetime appointment to the second circuit court of appeals. Um, his, he he was such a controversial candidate. There were even Republicans that were worried about confirming him initially. The American Bar Association, actually, who usually comes out in support of pretty much any candidate as long as they have they have they are qualified, mm -hmm. they pretty much rubber stamp anybody who comes through because they're not trying to be political. They're just trying to say qualified, not qualified. 
they opposed this guy because he is that bad. He's yeah. never seen a single day in court. So him being a judge over these issues for life, he is appointed for life to this post. Um, <clears throat> he opposed, he's opposed marriage equality and criticized the Obergefell Hodges decision, which legalized same sex marriage nationally. Mr. Menashe's disqualifying record is not only plagued with bias against LGBTQ rights, but he also has actively undermined the rights of immigrants, women, students, and other vulnerable groups throughout his career, wrote Sasha Boucher, a senior attorney at Lambda Legal. This record clearly demonstrates that he would be unable to administer fair and impartial justice. Boucher also criticized Menashe as one of Trump's most dangerous appointees. Menashe is also at the center of the college scandal that enveloped the Department of Education and Betsy DeVos. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know about this. Uh, but he wrote the policy basically saying that these scam colleges and universities that were um, that were offering students degrees in things that they weren't actually giving them an education for. Mm -hmm. um, the Obama administration essentially said, no, you don't have to pay back these student loans because you were scammed. Well, DeVos, thanks to Menashe has been collecting on those bills Ugh. regardless of the fact that the courts have said, no, this was a scam. Um, even Republicans criticized Menashe's appointment as the, as the judge refused to answer a litany of questions during his confirmation hearing. Senator Susan Collins of Maine decried Menashe for refusing to address questions over queer rights, women's rights, and immigration policy. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to quote Collins because I'm not a big fan. Either way, I think she might have voted against him, but ultimately no Democrats voted for him and yeah. all Republicans voted to confirm him. Well, all it was all Republicans. I shouldn't say all Republicans were voted to confirm him. So, yeah, he's going to be on the court forever. Awesome. Until he dies or retires. Can I just say that the, in the you did miss in the very beginning of this article, if you head up uh, the first line, in a 51 to 41 vote, the Senate yesterday voted to confirm Penguin Doppelganger, Steve Nashi. <laughs> and I, I did think, miss that. I think that missing that line was um, cr critical, crucial. It Pen is critical, especially because it ties in with my my second news story. Right? Penguins. The Penguin Doppelganger. So, anyway. Uh, Although, I, I kind of feel like that's an insult to penguins. And I think maybe he looks more like the penguin than yeah. penguins. Yeah. You know, like the Danny DeVito yeah. Batman. So my second news story, which is so much more fun, is that gay penguins in zoos steal an egg and attempt to become dads. <laughs> so <laughs> these gay penguins kidnapped an egg, which, you know, I don't encourage penguins. You shouldn't kidnap. But... And maybe they took it away from somebody they thought would be unfit parents. That could be true. So I mean, but I, yeah, I mean, I, and I you don't know what a penguin yeah. justice is like. I mean, right. I mean, it could have been righteous. Yes. So gay penguin couple, they stole an egg in an apparent bid to become dads. A pair of male, a gay male African penguins were discovered nest, nesting an egg alongside heterosexual couples at the Deeren Park Zoo Amersfoort in the Netherlands. The gay couple were looking after the egg very well and taking turns keeping it warm, the zookeeper said. Homosexuality is fairly common in penguins, but what this couple, what's remarkable about this couple is that they have gotten hold of an egg. 
So they stole it from a a heterosexual couple during an unguarded moment. (laughs) And with breeding season currently in full swing, the zoo already welcomed the first season's penguin chick. They hope the gay couple's egg will also hatch, but they are not yet certain the egg has been properly fertilized. Same-sex coupling appears to be fairly common among penguins in the animal kingdom in general. There have been several instances of same-sex pairs adopting eggs at zoos, but they're typically provided by the zookeepers rather than stolen by the penguins. <laughs> That's adorable. Isn't though. that just so cute? Apparently, though, the, the uh, heterosexual couple weren't too upset about it, and they just produced another egg and started fertilizing that. So, okay. Well, good luck to the gay penguins. Good I luck, hope- dads. Aww, all hope, right. I hope you have a happy, healthy penguin chick. A baby chick. I want a penguin. So baby penguin. Oh, I want a penguin. Texas looks like a penguin. He does some. Pe- he's a ting- he's a penguin body. So, Texas is my dog. I should clarify. <laughs> that came out weird, but yeah, Texas has a. Penguin Texas body. looks like a penguin. The other state. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on to that. On to the next. On to the next. Okay. Welcome back. Welcome back. So serious. Welcome so back. So very serious. Uh, today we are going to be talking a bit about the Transgender Day of Remembrance. Uh, I got a little info here, a little quick and dirty, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, the Transgender Day of Remember- Remembrance, uh, also known as the International Transgender Day of Remembrance, has been observed annually from its inception on November 20th as a day to memorialize those who have been murdered as a result of transphobia. It is a day to draw attention to the continued violence endured by transgender people. Transgender Day of Remembrance was founded in 1999 by Gwendolyn Ann Smith, a transgender woman, to memorialize the murder of transgender woman Rita Hester in Alston, Mass. It has slowly evolved from the web-based project started by Smith into an international day of action. In 2010, uh, TDOR was observed in over 185 cities throughout more than 20 countries. Typically, a TDOR memorial includes a reading of the names of those who lost their lives from November 20th of the former year to November 20th of the current year. and may include other actions such as candlelight vigils, dedicated church services, marches, art shows, food drives, and film screenings. GLAD, formerly the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, has extensively covered TDOR. GLAD has interviewed numerous transgender advocates, including actress Candace Kane, profiled at an, profiled an event at New York City LGBT Community Center, and discussed media coverage of TDOR. It's kind of a, just a little... Yeah, a little quick and dirty yeah. about the origin of this day and what this day has turned into. Um, and in honor of this day, we're going to do something a little bit different that we haven't ever done before. And we're going to interview a good friend of mine. Um, and so, yeah, how about we just get to that? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about this. So I would like to welcome our guest today, Merik Jensen, who is the director of Four Social Scope Productions, as well as the program director for Transformations of Kansas City, that focuses on transgender and gender expansive youth organization. I think I said that a little bit off, didn't I, Mary? You got it, girl. You got it. Be straight face. <laughs> and then I said, Marik. No. In a really bad way. No, I fine. said your name in a tear. I, I said, a, I almost said Marika. Oh, <laughs> I wish you had said Marika. 
We in Kansas City, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome to our podcast, Malik. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time out to to do this. It means a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, okay. So let's start with, um, okay, so maybe give our audience a brief introduction to the fabulous you. Yeah. Um, so I, so I've been, <laughs> so as director and program director, I mean, you've got a full plate. So what do you do for social scope? How, let's start there. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, well, social scope is a, um, is a smaller, uh, uh, LGBTQ multimedia and equity, um, design company. So that's kind of a mouthful in of itself, but basically what we do is we, get brought in a lot to agencies or communities that are dealing with an issue or a conflict or um, a crisis, and we will kind of help them figure out what's going on. And, and with that, that might look like helping build a program to support LGBTQ youth. It might look at um, addressing violence and trauma after um, a series of trans people of color have been murdered and building a town hall program to address systemic racism and maybe creating a video series from LGBT people of color to tell their stories to sort of activate a larger crowd with awareness. Um, We will um, get brought in to maybe help um, an organization look at their HR policies and compliance and what is their cultural standard of care to support trans and gender expansive people. Um, And a lot of that like sort of social scope really got started out of my experience as being a young person who was in survival mode, who had um, grown up in a family that was uh, with a father who was a very violent, um, alcoholic uh, man, and who uh, really kind of transformed my mother in this cycle of abuse. And so with that, when I was a teenager, I was kicked out. I come out as um, being gay at the time and was in the shelter system and on the streets and um, with you know chosen family and um, people that took me in that weren't so good. I got myself to school in Chicago, where I was for about 10 years, and uh, started there really doing a lot of LGBT youth programming for kids who are on the streets and harm reduction work, um, transformative justice work. Um, and so from there, I've at this point, you know, helped um, kind of uh, organizations in Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City, where I am now, um, build regional and statewide programs to support LGBT youth that have an anti-violence and harm reduction practice um, that do a lot of... Um, uh, homicide bereavement and um, advocacy work. Um, and so Social Scope has kind of become a catch-all for all of this. Um, really, we like to use media for um, telling stories and for getting them out there. We have found that media is a great way to activate people who are gatekeepers that will not budge on supporting others to wake up and to be like, oh man, I have to make a change because now this video has gone out that is being circulated and then is raising awareness just because people are looking at it on their phone, you know, at nine o'clock at night as they're also watching Netflix. And all of a sudden they're like, oh man, this looks wrong. We should do something about this. We should care about these people. Um, so, I, so I really believe in the power of media and especially with young people, it's so important. So that's a little bit about Social Scope. That's really amazing. Yeah, definitely. You've been doing that for a while. Yeah, since 2010. Okay, I thought so. You had, didn't you do an HIV AIDS sort of documentary was that through social I, scope or was that prior yeah to- I well what probably we're thinking is that in um it, I was commissioned by Empower Missouri which is a statewide Missouri um 
advocacy and lobbying coalition and organization to build a series of regional trainings for Missouri on the HIV criminalization laws and to talk about how to support people living with HIV. Yeah. So I had done that and I had used some media work around that um, and work with the HIV is not a crime conference. Um, but yeah, definitely people within um, our projects. We've had many people who are living with HIV who are telling their stories and living their truth and being resilient. So we definitely um, HIV criminalization and um, HIV justice is, are definitely two of the issues we're very focused on. Yeah, you've done so much with that. It's amazing. Okay, now let's transition to you being program director for the Transformations Kansas City Transgender and Gender Expansive Youth Organization. Yeah, what a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hard. Say that five times fast. Um, yeah. How, what does your business card look like with that? You know, we don't. You know, I last time I used business cards was like, gosh, like five years ago. Like the, I, know, like people, I feel like with youth, it's absolutely unnecessary. It's a little, after I said yeah. it, I was like, I think I just dated myself. That's a little, little nineties, but yeah. I, you know, I find that the best business cards are people's Instagram pages. That's true. Yeah. True. Especially in media. Just, business cards, so. <laughs> though. Yeah, business cards are important and, and definitely like in more like corporate sort of like our like nonprofit industrial complex style yeah. conferences, business cards yeah. are exchanged to sort of like, I'm the director, I'm so-and-so, and you're like, hello, so-and-so, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. We'll but say, I yeah, the Instagram should I need one. I feel unofficial now without I, mine. No, I feel like it's true. I think you're right. Just hit me up on Instagram. It's fine. I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I'm interested in that disconnect though. Well, you know, well, you know what I do with, with business cards? I put them in my purse until I clean out my purse. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Remind you know. me not to give you my business card. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have thoughts on business cards. Listen, I'm telling you, it's it's uh, it's a thing, right? I think we're in a shift with like, how do we do it? I always like the phone to phone bumper where it like exchanges your info. It's like, have you all have yes. done that yet? Where yes. you're just like, here's my contact. Yeah. And it just is like your phones can touch and do it. Yeah. I mean, it's technology amazing. is crazy. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. is. It is for sure. So, yeah. Okay. So back to the program director for the mouthful. Yeah. So transformations, um, we serve at this point, young people, 12 to 24 years old. Um, we started in 2016 after a series of homicides had happened towards trans and gender expansive people of color. Um, I feel like I remember that year pretty well. Yeah, it was crazy. You had a record number, right? We had um, four within a year and a half span that were documented. Um, I think, um, wasn't four Kansas different City and Detroit, weren't we sort of like... We were tied, yeah. Yeah, we were tied, yeah. Okay, sorry, go on. I, well, no, I interesting, I mean, it's good that you say that because... You at the time were working at the statewide anti-violence yeah. or well, the statewide LGBT org that did anti-violence work. And I was like, working at the Kansas City-based LGBT anti-violence organization right. that covered four states statewide. Exactly. Um, and uh, and it was a lot. And yeah, I was I, at a bar. <laughs> I just, Girl, that's, I mean, that's where we were going like, when we were off work. We were going to the bar. <laughs> I was she working. was taking care of us in our self-care. No room. kidding. I've been working at Union. Okay, so go ahead. I apologize. Please continue. Yeah. Well, so we so um, I had been in Kansas City. I you know I got brought here to build this youth program, which kind of goes into what I was sharing before with my background in social scope. So transformations is actually one of our clients through social scope. Social scopes. Um, 
you know, we're contracted. All of our team are contractors, we're subcontractors. So we have built a model that basically pays trans and gender expansive people for their time, energy, and wisdom, which I am super proud of. That is amazing. Thank you. I'm really, really proud of that. Well, you should be. I mean, so often trans, trans expansive people are expected to provide their experience, their lived experience, their wisdom, their knowledge to, uh, oh God, what's the word I want to say, to orgs, to mainstream orgs that are, you know, for their benefit in some way, shape or form. And it's like, but they're never compensated in any kind of way. It's like, well, we want to use your story, but we don't really have anything to offer you in exchange. Yeah. It's well, it's, it's culture vultures and trauma vultures. You know, it's like, let's take everything out of these, these folks that have lived on the margins that have dealt with a lot of adversity and all, and some of these people too, like, let me just say, right, are super resilient and super amazing people. They're my favorite people that I know. I mean, they're the people who have shaped me, but, um, Yeah, I mean, like, you know, a lot of organizations historically don't have, you know, that's certainly a conversation that's happening right now um, on a national level with the National Transgender Center for Equality. I mean, girl, did you watch that stuff? Like, they were, they have, they've blown up in the past week. I mean, there's been um, New Now Next and then Out Magazine just did two big pieces on the culture of National Trans um, Center for Equality. And the fact that um, out of the past three years, they, three years ago, I had, I think, roughly around 37 employees, and now they only have seven. And, you know, they're the they're considered the, like, HRC for trans rights in D.C. Yep. And so That's they... The Mar- uh, is that Mara? Mara Kiesling, yes. Yeah, yeah and Mara, Mara and then the um, other person who is her, uh, I think, executive deputy director, um, they just have been called out under fire for engaging in what we're just talking about, right? So taking sort of the lived experiences, the dealing with trauma and adversity as a trans person of color, bringing those people on staff, utilizing them, kind of sucking them dry and then firing them or letting them go and putting them back out on non-disclosure so they can't talk about the culture. So basically it just blew up this last week that like this, the organization has like these very deep issues of like racism and racial tension and of exploitation and not doing what they say they do and it's all come to a head where literally yesterday mara on her personal facebook page you can like look at it right now google her name she wrote like this statement of defense and was like i am not a racist you know like there's like you know there's like 200 comments and likes now on that just from this thing i mean this is from a national executive director who does trans rights probably the person and in this country, who's kind of a, a spokesperson on trans rights, who um, is unwilling to hear the critiques of her staff of color and the people of color that their organization is not working and does not make them feel safe and is exploiting them. Oh, that sucks. It's mm-hmm. so typical. Too. Yeah, it, well, yeah, it is 100% typical. I mean, my experience working in that uh, sort of environment at the statewide level was definitely very similar in the sense that yeah we take these stories and we use them for fundraising purposes our resources are very limited in terms of actually helping these people in any meaningful kind of way absolutely so, yeah that's very frustrating so as so you do youth programming 
We do youth programming, yeah, because after basically these homicides happen, we realized two types of folks specifically were being impacted. And the first was obviously trans women of color and trans people of color. Um, and so we had built a leadership summit um, that was focused on resiliency and healing that was over the course of three days in Kansas City in 2016. And then, th- and then we also had built within the programming specific um, tracks and leadership development for trans and gender expansive young people. And so after the summit, we then um, kind of informally started transformations. It wasn't called that at the time. It was just a very grassroots drop-in group for trans and gender expansive youth, 12 to 18. Um, And we had been operating that for about two years. And what we were realizing is that when we offer an organization that meets, you know, bi-monthly, or sorry, bi-weekly, basically uh, first and third Tuesdays of the month for two hours, um, a lot of the youth that were coming were trans white boys. So they had really, generally, they had pretty affirming families. They had pretty supportive guardians. Now, we did have sometimes kids get brought to our group who were in this foster care and shelter system or in children's divisions custody. And those kids were usually a little bit older, like 16, 17. Um, Half the time, they would say they're like white youth. The other half, they were youth of color. Um, But for the most part, we had the majority of our youth were, um, you know, trans boys. So um, people that were assigned female at birth that identify as boys. Um, and then we had a lot of um, gender, queer, non-binary kids as well who were assigned female at birth. Um, and we weren't having, for instance, a lot of trans girls coming. We would have trans girls maybe show up and then they wouldn't continue to stay. And we weren't figuring out, we were like, why aren't we able to keep trans girls? Like, why aren't they coming to our group? And we were intentional in building our outreach and our capacity as an organization to bring on trans women of color advisors. I mean, myself, I had transitioned during the process of running trans transformations. When I started, I identified as, um, well, I never really, I mean, I never identified this way, but I was perceived as, um, as a, oh God, I feel so weird to say a man, but I, I was perceived as like a gay man. I mean, I was like the best thing that I always felt like fit was a, was sort of the boy term, but I was, a gay man, mm-hmm. people perceive me that way, running a trans organization. And then throughout my journey of being with the organization, I ended up transitioning. And so that was a big shift for me on a, on a professional and a personal level because I came out, you know, and a lot of people who didn't really know me well were like, oh my gosh, like you transitioned, like where did that come from? And it was like, well, girl, I always like was one foot out the door of masculinity. Like that was yeah. never a secret, you know, like, that was always like, yeah, I'm going to try this out now. I'll probably piece out of this later. Um, but what we realized, we, one of our advisors who, was, um, who is a trans black woman named Nyla Foster, who actually is the national director for the Trans Women of Color Collective. Okay, she, I've heard the name before. So that's, how, yeah, okay. Badass. Yeah, she's great. Nyla, one time when we were having a group, we were talking about trans girls. And she said, well, you got to realize, like, some of the conversations we center with trans young people, for instance, like, you can be who you are. You don't have to pass. You can be non-binary. You can, you know, show up and have pink hair and go by they, them pronouns and Z here. And that's okay. Like, I believe that like in the core of myself, I absolutely believe that that should exist. I think the way that that implements and gets carried out in terms of how we see young people being able to identify that way is completely different across race lines. So she said, like, you're not going to see black trans girls showing up and, and wanting to engage in a conversation about passability and make that like, like, she's like, we have to pass. 
She's like, when you have a black trans girl show up and she's 16, she can't exist in the space of, oh, I go by they, them pronouns and I'm going to show up with stubble and hair, you know, and Mm -hmm. a pink dress, but combat boots. She's like, she's going to have her ass beat. She's like, so like, you can't, you, you know, she's like, we have these conversations where we sort of privilege and we allow for certain spaces and certain types of people to exist in all of their, their journey. She's like, and we don't, can't have that. She's like, you have to realize too, that like a lot of trans girls, she's like, we don't come out until a little bit later. Like she's like to have the capacity and the autonomy to dress and present as ourselves, to um, be able to wear feminine clothes, to be able to grow our hair out, to be able to start hormones. She goes, a lot of girls can't even start that till they're 16, 17, so they're almost out the door of their parents' house. So what we realized with that was that we needed to have a separate group that was specifically for trans young women. And so I'm super proud to say that actually this past fall, we actually got a very generous donation from Bumble, you know, the online social media wow. dating app. Yeah. Yeah. So Bumble gave us a a grant and we have started a separate trans young women's group for young women, um, 16 to 24 years old. So we are now doing that monthly. That is wonderful. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And so wait, I'm sorry. You, when did that start? You did September? Uh, it it actually started just this past month in October. Okay. So, yeah. And so, and the cool thing about it too, is that it's for any trans young woman. So trans white girls, trans girls of color, um, you know, you have to identify as a woman. Like you can't be coming and be like, I don't know about this. I mean, it, you, it could be like, if you're questioning, but you think that you're a woman, that could be the space. But for instance, when we advertise, this is interesting too. So we put out the advertisements like trans young women's group. And we were having like non-binary uh, people who are assigned female at birth sure. who are like, oh, great. I can come to this group. And we were like, ah, hold up sister. Like this is yeah. for the girls. The, the girls with the G-U-R-L-S, right? This is for the girls. So we had to start to specify like M to F, male to female, like um, that we really needed that specific space. And actually the youth were like super supportive. They were like, we totally get it. This is awesome. So it's a slow burn, you know, process. We've just had our first uh, monthly youth group meeting. It's intentionally led by trans women of color advisors, which is really, really cool because part of the process of us, you know, getting advisors and having stuff is that then we're now building this new sort of like informal leadership development model for trans women of color in the city where they get to learn about boundaries and they get to sort of get trained on some like best practices to do this work and um, they're getting paid and they're getting to be like the leaders and the advisors. So like it's also activating this community here in Kansas City. Like, you know, you all said that like has historically and very recently been very tapped out and had a lot of trauma and violence um, occur to it. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. It's, it's great too, that you, I mean, not only have the support, but it, I mean, I, I affirmations is sort of similar in their drop-in groups and stuff like that, but I don't know if they've it really, activated. really activated or really targeted, you know, focus on the trans community as much. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's um something we're lacking a bit here, you know, in our Detroit queer community and, yeah. yeah. I really believe in it. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's really important that trans and gender expansive youth learn from people like themselves. Um, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We talk a lot on this podcast about representation and representation mattering. And it does. It, it matters in all aspects of your life, I feel like. You know, it's like having somebody like you presenting topics that you identify with matters. 
because it's somebody that you can say, oh, they, that person resonates with me in whatever way, shape, or form, you know? Yeah, it, it matters mm-hmm. for whatever reason. It matters for every reason that it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Just, Race, gender, all of those things matter. And I think they really absolutely. come play. And I think it's really fucking awesome that you're really focusing in and doing that work. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. We've had... We've had to have a lot of teaching moments with like our community leaders because, you know, historically, right, in LGBTQ movements, a lot of our leaders have been cisgender, gay men, gay white men, um, and then maybe some cisgender, lesbian, white women. Yeah, usually white, always white. (laughs) Right. Yeah, almost always. Yeah. Uh, And then um, and so we've had to have conversations because, you know, like when we had the summit in 2016, we had some like older white trans women be like, well, why isn't this space for me? Why can't I come to the summit? And so we had to, you know, we had to be like, well, because you're not being killed. <laughs> like, you know, that, that might do it. You know, if you're right. not being killed, you know, that maybe there's not a reason for you to need a healing space right now. Sure. Um, but she didn't get it. And so then what we had to do was we had to pull from these tools that were all given, especially if we've done nonprofit work, or we've been in sort of like the nonprofit industrial complex, we had to pull these tools that white people have taught us how to use, which is like, we need data. And we need, she's like, well, where's the research on that? So we had the best ally. We had this white trans woman who was like really into web design. And she put together this whole like little like FAQ press kit and sent it back to this white trans woman. It was like, here, you know, per section C, you can see this data and you can see this and you can understand why this is not for you and this and da da da. And it was beautiful. It was like such a, a great way that um, she understood and she, as, as a white trans woman, she supported a space for trans and gender expansive youth and trans and gender expansive people of color. And she, as a white trans woman, was talking to another white trans woman about yes. why representation matters. And she used the tools that she knew that white trans woman, woman would hear, which is data and data, FAQ yeah, sheets and emails. That's you know, brilliant. That. And I, that's absolutely right. I think that's beautiful. You know, I mean, that's, that's white people need to talk to white people about racism and trans people need to talk about, you know, talk to trans people about, well, I guess that's not a good example. <laughs> <laughs> How many? Where are you at in the drink cycle? I've had two. <laughs> this is this is this game of fun. Let's let's have another drink. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's talk about sex. Cheers. Yeah, I kind of end up in this direction. No, but I think white people need to talk to white people about about race issues. You know, I mean, we're the ones who need to fucking like teach other white people about. Yeah, it's not the responsibility racism. of, of, of exactly. color to educate us. Exactly. Yeah. So a white trans woman reaching out to another white trans woman and speaking the language of white trans woman, you know, makes sense. I think that's right. I think that's, you know, sometimes you can only hear something from a perspective that you already understand in order to get over that hump of understanding a different perspective. Yeah, not, not right. like to put responsibility on somebody else. Exactly. It's not their, you know, it's not a person call it's not the responsibility to, to educate us or teach. No, absolutely. So exactly. Well, I was <laughs> I love that you just taught me. <laughs> it's my responsibility to teach you. I, I do want to clarify that. Um, so yeah. okay. Uh, so let's talk about like what is your what is what is your day to day life? like in terms of working both of these 
incredible jobs and doing all of this work. I mean, how much time do you have for self-care? Which, you know, I have. A, yeah, I mean, I, I self-care. Are you triggered? Honestly, I feel really like I feel bad. I feel bad saying this because I think of like what my sisters will hear if they hear this. But I feel very privileged and I and I am at the end of the day, I think I'm very privileged right now. Like I um, I was able to transition at a point where, um, uh, you know, where like I had established a name for myself enough. You know, I had I had built a reputation enough uh, about the work that I do. And thankfully, the work I do always speaks for itself. I mean, um, you know, as a trainer, as an equity trainer, as um, a consultant, as an as an organizer, and program designer, um, I have, you know, years sort of on my, my resume and under my belt about what I've done. And so, um, and I've, you know, I've done a, a fair amount of national keynotes and gigs and, um, I'm connected to lots of celebrity personalities. So I used to do a documentary series on effeminate gay men in America, uh, before I transitioned as it, like, um, about gay men that other gay men consider too gay. So I knew a lot of like drag queens and big personalities because I follow Ooh, them. And what is it called? So our listeners can listen or watch. It is called 50 Faggots. Um, so it was about gay men that other gay men considered too gay. So it was about oh. um, the basically this tagline was, we all know the stereotypes, but how gay do you want to be today? And it was filmed starting in 2008 and it went to about 2012. It was filmed over the course of four years. It was a longitudinal ethnographic documentary series. And, uh, I follow 10 men in Chicago, D.C., and New York. So when I was living in Chicago, I also half lived in New York and D.C. for four of those years because I was like living. I mean, I was literally like staying in the homes for like a week or two at end with like Acid Betty, who is on RuPaul's Drag Race or, um, you know, and she's like now going to like the big nightlife parties in New York and Amanda Lepore's there, Lady Bunny's there. You know, it's like Justin Vivian Bond's there, like right? all these big personalities. So it's like. I like I felt very like lucky to have that experience and quite honestly was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't transition yet. Like that was really cute. That was like a cute gay journey to have, you know, <laughs> before before I left to be like, bye, you know, like I, I felt good. Like I got to have the like New York City gay nightlife experience. Like that was really cute. Yeah, um, that, that is an important experience. I think uh, right. We should, I mean, if we have a wish list, that would definitely have been on there. I, so I. It was, it was very cute, you know, but it was interesting because like those same spaces were spaces that also for me were always very hyper-sexualized. That yeah. were spaces where like gay men, you know, and like dark house music blasting nightclubs or, you know, like shirtless and rubbing on each other. And usually someone's giving head in a corner or they're, you know, fucking and it's just like, you know, hypersexual and like consent and boundaries. What's that? Who has those yeah. conversations? You know, like, yeah. you know, so it's just like, all of this and then to be existing in this like little sissy effeminate body and to feel so like disconnected from it and to have been someone who had a lot of sexual violence since my history it was just like it was a lot to, to navigate in that way and I remember always feeling like this doesn't feel right like and so as I got older and I moved to Kansas City for instance like I was working an LGBT anti-violence organization that was like super fucking toxic and um and when I arrived, I was like, whoa, there's no people of color on staff. And like the executive director was like always gone or all, like the first one to like cry fragility when like someone would get murdered in the community. And like all the staff are working on this homicide case. He would be gone for a week and he would come back and be like, I'm really stressed, you guys. Like, I don't oh. like this. This homicide is really affecting me. And we'd all be like, I bitch, what the fuck that. are you talking about? Like, you aren't even I here. Oh. 
Yeah, it was just like, girl, it was horrible. Well, the the gag is that he uh, he got fired and found out to be embezzling tons of money. (gasps) What? (laughs) Which I had said when I was there, I was like, he is embezzling money. Yeah, and so and he's embezzling money from the youth program. What was that? I do feel like you said that to me. Uh-huh. Like you said yep. that there was something shady going on. I don't know if you said that exactly, yep. but like you knew something yep. was up there. Yeah, I've always been a smart little Nancy Drew one. Yep. Yes, you. I was are. like, there's something's going on here. <laughs> oh. Something smells fishy. Mm, um, and it ain't badge. Yeah. It, well, I wouldn't know. Very <laughs> 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 Hey, you know we're explicit on this podcast. Oh no. Yes. Not all vagina smells like fish. Sometimes it smells like roses and vinegar. And- <laughs> roses and vinegar? <laughs> I've never been with that. I've- <laughs> roses and vinegar. All right. All right. You know, and that's, speaking of, though, that's that has been a gag, right? So, like, I've, like, I'm, I'm you know, what we call a, a, a gold star gay. So I was never with a cisgender woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh and now I'm living my life as a woman and I'm thinking about surgical procedures that, you know, for instance, like I'm like going for breast augmentation and I'm probably going to get my breasts in like the next year. Yay. And like, I'm like, like yeah. And I'm like looking at it and I'm like, and I was like, I literally never cared about breasts. Right? Like I literally, I'm going to be honest, like <laughs> any, I'm any getting, capacity, whether yeah. no, at all. I could care less. <laughs> like I was not that trans girl who was like, I want to have titties. I was like, I just like, no, I don't want them. <laughs> like, well, I'm a total boob girl. <laughs> so I will well, be the judge when you get them. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Great. Good. Yeah. I love my ass and like the way that the hormones have shaped out my ass and my thighs, like guys love that. So like, that's really great. But like, I've, it's gotten to a point where I'm like, you know, I was like, I really want to like commit to this woman illusion. Cause that's how I think about gender in general, right? It's all illusion. So I'm like, I want to commit yeah. to, to this. I was like, I need to go get breasts. But then I'm like, I just don't, I like, and I was like, I want to get breasts, but I want to get small breasts. And then my girlfriends are like, girl, if you're going to get small breasts, just don't get breasts at all. And I was like, well, well, I, I don't think there's anything. I think you could. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know where to go with that. Cause, but I think you I get feel like you size get you whatever. Yeah. I mean, like you get Listen, or you don't get. It's, it's it's whatever you feel comfortable with. That's it's a it's a problem. Like large breasts, it's a big problem too. I mean, it's pain in the ass to run. God, mm-hmm. the sports bra, double sports bra. Ugh. Oh, you know, it's it's all. It's and all and they can be painful. I mean, they can be yeah. major back problems. Yeah. So, I mean, that's our breast advice as breast wearers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's good to hear because I think really what I want to get is I want to get, I think I've decided I want to get like bees, maybe at most C's, but I really want to like, get like the bees. And I want to, um, and I want to just have them where they're, they're enough. But really, I think breast augmentation for me and I think for like a lot of trans women is really just about shaping it out. Sure. It's like I like what I have. Just let's just like complete the shape all around. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you watched any of the American Horror Story? <laughs> have well, I watched I'm, American I Horror Story? Every conversation we have, every conversation we have on the podcast, goes to American Horror Story. Is this an American Horror Story? Podcast? You know, I do watch American Horror Story. So where are you going to go with this? <laughs> I, I just, I mean, every conversation. I think this is an American Horror Horror la, 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 American Horror Story podcast. podcast, and she hasn't told me about it yet. Well, it's actually- I liked I liked American Horror Story. That's more fun. Same. <laughs> that would actually be a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> talking about hor- sorry, horror no, and sex. Of- That's it. Exactly. Well, the season of hotels. Have yes, you seen I that watched season? all of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Liz Taylor. Yes. I mean. Yes. One of the. Wait, you're, wait, you're saying I look like her? Oh my god! How <laughs> dare you? I, I, girl, you have way too much. I'm done with this Taylor. podcast. This is shady as fuck. <laughs> No, it was an American Horror Story podcast either, so I'm no. done too. <laughs> no, but I was, we were talking about body shape. <laughs> what are we with this? Liz Taylor. I know, but in regards to this conversation. This, you'll follow me and, and we'll get there. I apologize. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I was just saying Liz Taylor, the character Liz Taylor is, I mean, it's clearly a man playing the role of a trans woman. Um, Dennis O'Hare is just, he's a dude. Um, yeah, but the way it's a hairy little dude. character was a trans woman. I mean, granted, problematic that they didn't have a trans woman playing. But the way they played out the character in terms of the body shape, you know, not going through with any of the body augmentation and and that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, I thought that she was a beautiful character to beyond all of that, and I thought that that was a great way to portray sort of like that in between you know the for sure because you know not all trans women transition physically surgically yeah absolutely right and so I thought it was it was a wonderful way to portray that you know with you know the bald hair and the no surgical implant implantations I thought it was a great choice and it's expensive too, right? It's I mean, very it's oh my gosh, so, it's I mean, so expensive. And insurance often doesn't cover it. Yeah, so and often people don't have insurance when they work at yeah. Obviously, yeah, <laughs> you have, it's you have different jobs. Well, I you know going back to American Horror Story, I appreciated like the Dennis O'Hara like um, Liz Taylor character um, because I thought that she. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought he played her with reverence. Like I didn't think that it was a it was a mockery at all. And I also felt I thought it was played really well. And I also think that like um there are trans women who are of that age. I don't know. In my head, Dennis O'Hara is like seventy. It's <laughs> 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 probably not that old. But like I just feel like there's like older trans women who are like they're like, I'm there's not much I can get done in my body or like my body can't go through a lot of hormone stuff now or, or, or do these things. So they have to learn how to present just with who they are. And I thought that, um, you know, that actually his, uh, her character or her in the, the show, um, she reminded me a lot of, um, Justin Vivian Bond, who was, a, wow. is a New York nightlife personality who was very ambiguous and, um, came out, I think as trans eventually, but as a trans woman, but, uh, you know, definitely, I see. I think that that's also the type of trans woman that you'll find more in bigger cities. I think you'll find find a lot more a, a ability to express in this sort of gender fluid way in places like New York and you know um, Miami and San Francisco and LA, um, that in Portland, certainly all the Pacific Northwest that you won't find in a place like Kansas City. I mean, we're right. still very li- limited. And yes. what we see as gender. I mean, all the men here. That's that's been the interesting, most interesting thing about me on this journey. Because you're like, how are you doing? I mean, the work stuff. Yeah, there's always work hustle, and I've been really privileged and great to say that. Like, when I transitioned, nothing changed. Like, I didn't have like I didn't like lose work. I didn't, you know. And that's so rare. I've realized like that is just yeah. so rare to be able to be have been self-sustained enough 
to have my own company, I can transition and my, my work spoke for itself. If anything, it's like me transitioning, like made more people interested in me. Um, because I think that for me, I transitioned and, um, I had been taking hormones for a while. And then when I eventually sort of shared it on social media, which was last March, when I sort of posted my initial photos, I mean, I think a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. And then I think the second part, quite honestly, is people are like, oh my God, she's hot, you know? And like, <laughs> I, I think that there was like a second layer to like, oh, she's really pretty. And, um, and I definitely think that I benefit from being somebody who is maybe seen as like conventionally attractive as opposed yeah. to like some trans women, like genetically, they don't have, they don't have the um, predisposition to be sure. seen as like conventionally beautiful. And so I, I just, I think about that a lot. I feel very lucky about so far, I've been able to go through this journey and be very respected and loved. Um, and I wasn't worried about losing family because I had already lost all my chosen, like all my blood family when I was a kid. Right. So like having created self, like having self-chosen family or um, that not even self, like we choose each other, but having chosen family made it so that I knew when I transitioned, no one was going to leave me. Because everybody already loved me for who I was. And yeah. many, most of my friends already knew that this was a possibility. So when it happened, literally every single person was like super supportive and great. And I was like, wow, that's so rare. Like, that's really, that's not the narrative we hear, you yeah. know? Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, listen, uh, Nicole and I, uh, since starting the podcast, have struggled with doing a coming out episode because both of our coming out stories are so easy it's so easy. it, it yeah, just doesn't seem like it would be it seems more like we're bragging than to you know trying to connect with an audience who might be having difficulty with that so like I get it I mean like we were very privileged as well mm-hmm. in our coming out process so I, I understand where, where you're coming from with that that's really yeah but it's also amazing I mean it's so fucking wonderful that you built this family around you that was going to accept you regardless because I know, I mean, like you and I prior to all of this had had many conversations about all the sort of treachery that had happened. I feel like in your past, you know, and yeah, for so sure. It, I'm so happy that you had such a welcoming and, and loving experience. And I, for my part, like I have to say, like when, when you came out on Facebook, I was, not surprised, and I was thrilled. <laughs> you're like, for you. you're like, of course. <laughs> I was fucking thrilled for you. I was like, ah. I'm sorry, that was probably a little loud. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, you are, and it's true. You are, you are beautiful. I mean, so you definitely have that Very going beautiful. on. But also, you know what? Look, thank you. <laughs> lots of cis women aren't gifted here i'll give you i'll give you the voice to give to the guys hold up oh wait sorry i didn't hear you i was i was practicing my my fish voice so that was gonna give it to you in a second do what it do saying? it do it uh, i was like um, <laughs> thank you so much daddy i really appreciate it oh, <laughs> oh god i've never been called daddy, daddy before yeah, oh I, you're I like daddies it. today I'm kind of into it. <laughs> oh nicole's into yeah. it yeah you've never no sister huh <laughs> I'll respect it. I'm sad about it, but I'll respect it. It's fun. I mean, that's, that's for me been the journey has been like, has actually been like, you know, I almost think it's like, I went to school for anthropology. So I love anthropology. I did a documentary series. I was an ethnographic series. So like, I'm like, anthropology is like in the work I do. I mean, doing all the community work, I really think that being 
coming from an anthropological background has really shaped the way I do even community organizing. But um, as an anthropologist, like to transition has just been so fascinating because now that the, the culture and the communities that I'm absorbing is like, bye bye gays. Like literally, like I will say that, like I was thinking about writing sort of a, like lessons learned from one year into my transition because I had been such, I was gay. Like I was gay, 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 you know? So <laughs> yeah. like, I was entrenched in it. I had the secrets. I knew the stuff that had gone down. So what I realized <laughs> is that there were not a lot of gay men who transitioned at that point. Once you sort of, it's sort of like once you get so far into gay culture, you don't transition. Yeah. And if you really, really think about that, you won't, you can, I can think of hardly anyone I know, public celebrities, personalities, people in the community, community leaders who have transitioned after having been gay, gay, gay for so long. Right. And that's, I think, what made me feel alone is like, oh, my gosh, like, what are people going to think? They're going to think I'm a, like I betrayed or that it was all fake. And what I realized is that for me, it was almost like once I transitioned and once men really saw like, oh, sh- oh, shit, like she's really serious, like she's really transitioned. Th- all the gays stopped talking to me. Really? And yeah. yeah. All the gays stopped talking to me. And like, and that was fine because that had been such a community that I had had such friction with for so long that sure. I was like, it is what it is. But um, it's not like there's like, uh, I mean, and I already was like a, a hot-headed sort of, con- not hot-headed, but I was like, I mean, they would consider me hot-headed. I don't think it was hot-headed, but they I would consider me like a very, passionate. yeah, they would consider me a very direct, very passionate kind of like in-your-face activist. Um, which I don't think I'd be that way. And I don't think I was perceived that way when I was like in Chicago, but like coming to Kansas city where it's like, we barbecue and we have post athletic bodies. Like, yeah, I'm going to be a little passionate, you know, compared to what they have. Um, Girl for real though, you know, we're all, we're all apathetic about politics, you know, like that's, that's the culture of men here. And so to like leave sort of like, gay male culture where it was so draining and it was so, I felt so isolated. I felt so ugly. I felt so ugly. I was so insecure. I felt so ugly. And to leave that and then actually to have out of the woodwork, gays tell me, oh my God, you are such a cute guy. I was like, well, you never made me feel that way. Like I never felt I was cute with you. Like I never felt like attractive by this community, but all of a sudden they all were like now telling me how attractive I was when I was a boy which then my trans girlfriends let me in on. They're like, what they're really telling you is that they, is that they can't, they can't support, they can't understand why you're a woman now. Yeah. And, and I was like, that's interesting. But then the other thing that I, that I sort of was like realizing is like, now I am a, a woman who, and I've always been attracted to men. I've always like very quintessentially kind of stereotypically been attracted to like cisgender men with nice, decent bodies, really handsome faces, big old cocks. So like, you know, (laughs) I mean, like now it's like, I'm a woman who's attracted to handsome men with faces and decent bodies and big old cocks. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I'm a straight woman. I'm a fucking straight woman. That is so funny. Like I'm a straight woman. (laughs) And so like when I told my girlfriends, I was like, bitch, I'm straight. This is hilarious like that is the biggest (laughs) gag to me is that I'm fucking straight so now right now my world is like I have to be around straight women Uh, and straight men and I'm like oh my god what the fuck is this right (laughs) look look, 
I still, I, I consider queer beyond sexual orientation. I consider it also gender expression. I, as long as we're queering something, Absolutely. we are all queer. You know what Absolutely. I'm saying? Like, I, and I think there's no shame in that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting to, to be, to see that community, especially in Kansas fucking city. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to well, like, like Gender reveals and showers. And oh, absolutely! I've been out and seen them. Great people do, yeah. Ugh. Well, and and then the men that like trans women, you know, so like absolutely, absolutely on all of that. And that's what I was saying is like I identify. I mean, like sexuality-wise, I am straight, but I still absolutely identify as queer. I will always be queer. There's no yeah. way that I'll never not be yeah. queer. Nobody could take um, that from you. For sure. But like, so now I'm talking to guys and like. That, you know, and it's and it's in this place where like we're still in a city that trans women are being killed, trans women of color are being killed, most yes. specifically trans black women are being killed. Yes. So like I'm very aware I am not black, I am not a trans black woman, and and certain trans black women will make sure that they let me know that I'm not a trans black woman, right? Sure. So I'm like I I am not, I absolutely get that. You know, even as a person of color, I am somebody who has a white dad, a Mexican mom, and so. Um, the way that a lot of white people even perceive me. Um, interestingly, when I was still a boy, a lot of people perceive me as white. Since I have transitioned, I have had way more people immediately identify that I'm Latina. Interesting. And, uh, yeah. So it's like, it's, you know, and it's like phenotypes, features, the way that your body shapes. So like, does your body take on now? Like my body looks more like my mother's body. And so it's like, I'm like a hippie, you know, I have a lot of butt. I have a lot of padding, and I love that. I'm like literally slapping as I say that to you right now. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I. So like now, it's it's. I'm in a place where like more people, including guys that talk to me, are like, "Oh, you're Latina. You're Latina." And I'm like, "Oh, what's that?" Like, but I, my race is in some ways validated more now than it was before. But so interesting, isn't it? I mean, sort of the way you became more your authentic self translated not just in gender but in race. In race. Well, yeah. It's interesting. Or I'll, yeah. I wonder if it's, you know, looking at women as opposed to men as far as race goes. I don't know. That's that's be an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Oh for sure. I definitely think that like men that are are white men are given way more passes on what it looks like to be a white man than like for white sure. women. Yeah. 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 I think um, true. So I've been talking to men and like white like white men or men of color have just been really interesting who are straight to navigate and what I realized in all of it is I was like damn like masculinity really fucks up men yes like masculinity really really fucks up men and women and women yeah and women for sure but like with men it's just like so many of these guys will come over and like like me and they don't actually have an issue with like being seen out with me it's more like they just have life issues. Like they just don't know how to function in life. You know what I mean? So they're like yeah. not, they're not happy. They have mental health stuff that they're not checking out. They, um, you know, like I've had, a, I feel like quite a few guys I've talked to have been like former Marines or in the military. And like, there's all this PTSD from war that's like, that's like being untreated that they're not like talking about, or they have like friends that they've lost to suicide. And I'm just like, Oh my God. I'm like, this is a whole different world. Like yeah, these men are just like so different. I think that that finally that conversation is kind of coming around a little bit more too. You know, I hear people actually finally talking about, you know, the the problems that lie within masculinity or perceived masculinity rather. But um, 
Yeah, what we call toxic masculinity, which is actually just the way we've all been taught masculinity. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Which is toxic. And I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. it's so ingrained. Like, even I, yeah, even I, I mean, I don't know. I like, I still think of like, in terms of gender is so, you know, binary and masculinity and femininity without even thinking about it. I'll do that with nieces and nephews and stuff. And I'm trying to, really trying to catch myself and you know stop myself and think about it more but it still happens and but oh for sure we're all conditioned in it right we're all given the scripts and taught it and my my youngest sister she lives in kentucky in in appalachia i mean in in dry county bell you know bell county kentucky and i mean masculinity femininity it's so it is just so strict down there and it's so it's it's in so intense and so ingrained in that culture boy, and boy, boy. oh my god you have no idea like my my brother-in-law with my nephews I mean god forbid they do anything that's perceived like not to be 100% masculine and you know and I'm talking masculine like hunting as a little kid like you know and it's just it's, and I don't know if that's to say some you know Michigan is the same too and I'm sure Kansas City and all places are you know I lived in Boston before and as much as as progressive as Massachusetts is, I mean, Boston is the same. I mean, the guys, you know, like masculinity is. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think yeah. it changes from city to like urban I, to suburban. I think there's some places, rural. yeah. Like, I feel like it's, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like masculinity is very. Except for Portland. Maybe only Portland is the only place that has this kind of like. Portland is its own little anomaly. It really has, like gender is so, I feel like. Maybe just Portland. Gender is a little. I yeah, think you're onto something there. I think maybe just Portland. <laughs> I'm not joking. Just Portland, and not no, not the rest of Oregon. I had a, I had a cousin who lived in Bend, Oregon. I mean, it was like a different kind of masculinity, but no, but just Portland. This tiny little, maybe even a specific few blocks. Maybe it's something in the water. I don't know, but just Portland. They get this, like, it's not fluoride. It's, it's not toxic it's, masculinity. It's, yes, I mean, uh, again, with anthropology, that'd be yeah. really interesting to to think about and learn about, you know, especially regionally if it's a little different. Well, yeah, I mean, looking society to society in terms of gender and gender norms is super fascinating. Yeah, especially as an anthropologist, a trans anthropologist, like that's got to be fucking. Really interesting yeah. stuff to look into. Oh, for some reason, you guys are cutting out. Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear us? Are we better? Hello? No. No. I can I can sort of hear you. You keep going in and out. Oh, okay. Huh. Well, maybe we okay. were just... That's better. That's better. Yeah, whatever you're doing now is better. <laughs> we're actually near the phone. We're really close. I think that we just started kind of, like, talking. I we, and, yeah, I think yeah. we sort of... We do that often. Move away a little bit. Um. Oh, but, yeah. get to the phone get to the phone <laughs> okay, we're, I apologize about that no we were just saying how interesting it must be to be a trans anthropologist I mean experiencing all those different cultures within you your own you should really market skin. that huh yeah seriously well, a anthropologist. A Tranthropologist. Super. Oh, don't. oh my god I might take that I will give you all credit <laughs> into, into it into it anthropologist talk about a it's... business card <laughs> Tranthropologist. Tranthropology. <laughs> I think I might have just created a whole new like 
Ooh, imagine a clothing line called Transpology. Oh my god, I feel like we all just <laughs> started something here. And it would have a lot of dinosaurs on it too. It'd be right? super affordable <laughs> for everybody. That's awesome. Except for rich people. Um, I do They'd have, have to pay a premium. I have one quick question though. Did uh did your work bring you down to Kansas City or did you choose to move there? So I got recruited um, actually by the agency that I worked for when I moved here. So they actually plucked me from St. Louis and got me to Kansas City because I had been doing um, I had been doing similar work in St. Louis with the uh, um, b- helping build the first LGBT youth regional anti-violence program. And so they brought me to Kansas City to build a program across Missouri and Kansas, both statewide. And when I arrived, I was supposed to be building this program. And then four months in, the first of many homicides happened. And so I also was working on the homicide cases, too. So remind me, um, when did you stop working for that org? Uh, 2016. Okay. So the same year that I quit the org yes. that I was working for. That's right. Yes. Because we quit at a very similar time. I remember now. Yes, we did. Yes. We had a sisters are doing it for themselves. Yes, we did. And we were going to do a whole let's blast this shit over. Oh, uh, we were. My gosh, we were. We were like, we're going to fucking tell them everything. Fuck them. You like whistleblowers. Yeah, I we was... were the whistleblowers before there were whistleblowers, except we didn't actually blow the whistle, probably because I didn't follow through. I was serving mimosas to douchebags in Boston. So that's where I was in 2016. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, we will not keep you any longer. Yeah. This. This oh, is my like gosh. The most amazing thing ever. Millie, this has been oh, an amazing okay. conversation. <laughs> Thank you. I, You're welcome. Do you guys feel boring. like you got good stuff and you got good news? Are you kidding? Like, it's like literally the best. We Seriously. Got the best stuff. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? This is amazing. Um, I will definitely send you the episode as soon as we get it cut and everything. Oh, please do. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for doing this Thank with you. Us. This was so fun. You're welcome. You ladies have a great evening. You too. And you know what? We actually need a catch-up outside of this conversation really fucking soon because I want to hear I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. I would absolutely okay. love it. Just reach out. We'll figure it out. I will. Deal. All right. Okay. Love you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. That was an amazing interview with Marik. Oh my God. That was so amazing. That was, I'm so glad that she took the time out to do that. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm very grateful. Thank you, Marik. Thank you so much. Marike. It was amazing to, Marike. <laughs> to meet you. And uh, I say thank it you wrong every time. I, that's why I'm not saying it, but um, <laughs> well, she said, just do the French. So Marik, Marik, thank you. You are incredible. And honestly, thank you so much for what you do. You are amazing. And instead of doing crushes this week, we thought it would be a little bit more appropriate for us to read the names of our trans brothers, mostly sisters, who have passed this year for Transgender Day of Remembrance. Okay, and I'll start. Dana Martin, 31, a black transgender woman was fatally shot in Montgomery, Alabama on January 6th. Um, Dronesia Duncan Boyd, an Alabama-based trans advocate, said that she was a person that was loved by many. Jazlyn Ware, 34, a black transgender woman, was found dead in her Memphis apartment, apartment in March. Her death is being investigated as a homicide, according to the advocate. Our community in Memphis is mourning the death of Jazlyn Ware, 
a black trans woman and beloved friend, said the Transgender Law Center in a press release. Further details are unknown as of May 31st, 2019. Ashanti Carmen, 27, a black transgender woman was fatally shot in Prince, George, Prince George's County, Maryland on March 30th. Until I leave this earth, I'm going to continue on loving her in my heart, body, and soul, said Phillips Williams, Carmen's fiance. She did not deserve to leave the earth so early, especially in the way that she went out. Claire Legato, 21. A black transgender woman was fatally shot in Cleveland on April 15th. Friends and family took to social media to mourn Legato's death, remembering her as someone who was full of life. Paris Cameron, 20, a black transgender woman, was among three people killed in a horrific anti-LGBTQ shooting in a home in Detroit on May 25th. According to local reports, Alante Davis, 21, and Timothy Blanchard, 20, two gay men were found dead at the scene, and Cameron was taken to the hospital, where she died later from her injuries. Two other victims were also shot but survived. This case illustrates the mortal danger faced by the members of the Detroit LGBTQ community, including transgender women of color. Uh, Fair Michigan President Alana McGuire said. I think Alana McGuire should have said especially transgender women of color. Malaysia Booker, 23, a black transgender woman was fatally shot in Dallas on May 18th. Friends, family, and advocates across the country took to social media to mourn Booker, sharing their shock and disbelief. Such a beautiful spirit taken too soon, wrote one person. She lived her life and loved all of who she was. Chanel Lindsay, 26, a black transgender woman was found dead in White Rock Lake, Dallas, with signs of homicidal violence on June 1st, according to police. Friends, family, and community members took to social media to share their shock at her death, describing her as smiling and a person I had never seen mad. Michelle Tamika Washington, 40, a black transgender woman was fatally shot in Philadelphia on May 19th. Washington, who was also known by the name Tamika, is remembered by friends and loved ones as a beloved sister and gay mother. Chanel Skirlock, 23, a black transgender woman was found fatally shot in Lumberton, North Carolina on June 6th. R.A.P. Baby wrote a friend on Facebook. You lived your life as you wanted. I'm proud of you for being unapologetically correct about your unapologetically unapologetically correct about your feelings and expectations of you. Zoe Spears, 23. A black transgender woman was found with signs of trauma near Eastern Avenue in Fairmont Heights, Maryland, later pronounced dead on June 13th, according to local reports. She was my daughter, very bright and full of life, transgender advocate Ruby Corrado, the founder and executive director of Casa Ruby, told HRC. Casa Ruby was her home. Right now, we just want her and her friends and the people who knew her to know she's loved. Brooklyn Lindsay, 32, a black transgender woman was found dead in Kansas City, Missouri on June 25th, according to local news reports. I love you, Brooklyn Lindsay, wrote a friend on Twitter. I shall live on for you. Rest in power, sister. Denali Berries Stuckey, 29, a black transgender woman was found fatally shot in North Charleston, South Carolina on July 20th. I lost my best friend, first cousin, wrote a family member on Facebook. We were more than cousins. We were like brothers and sister. I love you so much, Pooh. Tracy Single, 22, a black transgender woman was killed in Houston on July 30th. Rest in power and peace, Tracy, wrote Monica Roberts, Houston-based transgender advocate. You were, taking away, you were taken away from us too soon. Bubba Walker, 55, a black transgender woman was killed in Charlotte, North Carolina in late July. Walker was reported missing on July 26th. She is remembered by friends and family as one of those people who is really fun to be around. 
She was very kind, and she loved helping people. Jordan Coffer, 22, was among the nine victims killed in a mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio, on August 1st. While Coffer was only out to a handful of close friends and used the pronouns he, him, his on his social media profiles, he is remembered by friends as extremely bright and well-liked. A friend told Splinter News that Jordan was probably one of the sweetest people you'd ever meet, a true saint, but he was also very scared constantly. He tried to give the best to everyone. Kiki Fantroy, 21, a black transgender woman, was fatally shot in Miami on July 31st. Fantroy's mother remembered her as having a heart of gold and being a very loving person. She also pleaded for justice for her daughter, saying, my baby, my baby, please help bring justice to my baby. Pebbles LaDime Dime Doe, 24, a black transgender woman, was killed in Allendale County, South Carolina, on August, 4th, uh, August 4th. Doe's friends and family remember her as having a bright personality and being somebody who showed love and who was the best to be around. Bailey Reeves, 17, a black transgender teen was fatally shot in Baltimore, Maryland on September 2nd. She is remembered as a person who lived her life to the fullest. Bree Love Slater, 23, was killed in Clewiston, Florida on September 4th. Slater is remembered by loved ones as someone with a really, really sweet heart who never harmed anyone. I'm going to say this name wrong, and I am not intending to. Jamagio Jamar Berryman, 30, a black transgender or excuse me, a black gender nonconforming person was killed in Kansas City, Kansas on September 13th. Local activists and community members joined family and friends at a vigil and took place on social media to mourn Berryman's loss. Itali Marlowe, 29, a black transgender woman was found shot in Houston on September 20th. She was transported to a nearby hospital where she was pronounced dead, as reported by Monica Roberts of Trans Trans Transgrio. Transgrio. Thank you. You deserve to live a full. Uh, you deserve to live a full and robust, a robust life. Oh my gosh, sorry. You deserve to live a full and robust life, surrounded by people who embrace and celebrated your real self. Wrote Sue Kier, an LGBTQ columnist. Brianna BB Hill, thirty, was fatally shot in Kansas City on October fourteenth. Kansas City Police Captain Tim Hernandez told local press the alleged shooter remained at the scene until they arrived. She was a beloved member of her community, a fan of the Kansas City football team, and loved spreading joy by sharing funny videos to her Facebook page. And Johanna Yo Medina, 25, died at a hospital in El Paso, Texas, just hours after being released from ICE custody. She suffered severe health complications that went untreated while she was in detention. According to the Diverestats and Frontieras, according to... O.J. Pattaya, an advocate with the group, Medina dreamed of coming to the U.S. and becoming certified as a nurse. Diversidad sin fronteras. That was my best. It was good. So those are... Uh, yeah, well, and then there's Laylene Polanco, nope. 27, found dead in a cell at Rikers Island on June 7th. Polanco was described by those who knew her as a sweet, amazing, and generous human being. All right. Rest in power. Rest in power, all of you, and... We have to do better. We have to do better. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to this really special episode. Thank you again to Marike. Thank you. For coming on here and being such an amazing guest. Yes. Um, we had so much fun with you. Thank yes, you. Yes, thanks so much. Um, and stay queered. Be weird. Check us out on our socials. At Queered Podcast on Instagram. At Queerdos on Facebook. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. See you next Tuesday. Rate, subscribe, follow, love us, or leave us. Yeah, it's up to you, but you should love us. But you should love us because we're pretty lovable. Right. I'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.